It is uh, definitely a privilege to be with you today. Can everybody hear me? We'll get that adjusted. Uh, here we go. Um, it's great to be with you. And if you recall from the last time we were together, uh, we spoke about... Um, we're, I'm kind of going through the Hall of Faith. And this is actually the 12th sermon that I've done in this series. So if you want to go back and uh, look at my website, um, speakingforhim.com. A lot of the archives for that series are there because I started this series before I came um, and began attending Northwest on a regular basis. So uh, you can go back to there. Um, but last time we were talking about part of Abraham's story and uh, how God renewed his covenant with Abraham. You know, he made a certain promise to Abraham that he would have a son. And Abraham, several times throughout his life, throughout this process, kind of lost a little bit of hope. And he said, well, maybe Ishmael will be my heir. And God said, no, your heir will come from Sarah. And then he said, well, can't Eliezer, my, my chief servant, can he stand before you? And be my heir. And God once again said no. And uh, we're going to see uh, how God continues to reaffirm his promises. We're going to see a visit that the Lord made in Genesis chapter 18 to our friend Abraham. And how he uh, once again made his promise to Abraham, but he was a little more exact this time. But before we turn there, I just want to read a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 9, and then we'll open in prayer, and then we will begin our message. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. May the Lord have his blessing on the reading of his word. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time to open your word. We pray that you would be with us as we turn to this book of Genesis, this book of Beginnings, and hear more about the story of Abraham. We pray that we would be challenged to be Abrahams of our day. We would be men of faith. For Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. May the same be said for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, I really appreciate the story of Abraham because he has a lot of ups and downs, much as I have a lot of ups and downs. So I relate to Abraham in, in many ways. So, Genesis eighteen, and we'll we'll start out by reading the first. Eight verses. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, 
And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when they saw him, when he saw them, he ran to meet them from, from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away from thee, I pray thee. Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water be fetched, I pray you. Let a little water, I, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And he said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened unto Sarah and said, Make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abram ran to the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had dressed, and set it before them, and stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And I think by this first verse here, um, when it says, The Lord appeared unto him, I take it to mean that one of the party that came to him was the pre-incarnate Christ. And he came to deliver a very particular message that we will hear a little bit later. But um, my my first point in this message about God's appearance to Abraham is that Abraham sees the Lord and takes action. A lot of times in this life we are conditioned in a very good way to pray about things. To pray and ask God for direction, pray and ask God for wisdom, praying, at, praying to ask God to do certain things in our country. But I often think there are certain times when we hear about a problem in our country or a problem in our church or whatever, and we say, I'll pray about And that's good. But God also wants us to be people of action. He wants us to pray, and then he can give us marching orders, and then we can act upon them. And the first thing that I noticed about Abraham in this passage is that he's sitting in the door of his tent. And uh, I just think about how this is such so emblematic His real life is emblematic of our Christian sojourn. He had a tent. He moved it periodically. He wasn't necessarily fastened to one particular place. And he was always ready to be on the go. But as he's sitting in his tent door, then he opens up his eyes, and three men stood by him. And then he saw them and ran to meet them, and bowed himself to the, to, the, to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. That's another thing to notice. He bows himself to the ground, and in previous, in other times, when men who are messengers of God come, and even angels who are messengers of God, they are known to say, Get up off your feet, off your knees, for I am just a man, or I am just God's messenger. <laughs> that doesn't happen here. So that's another reason why I believe we are talking about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 
And so he immediately realizes that he has an opportunity to minister to the Lord. And he says, Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham, before he realized anything else, he realized that the opportunity was here to serve the Lord. That was his mindset. That was his focus. And I would just hope that that would be ours as well. And so he goes into the tent and he tells Sarah to make some cakes and he runs and he gets a calf and he gave it unto one of his servants to dress it. It says that it was a good calf, tender, and took butter and milk and brought out everything that he had and gave it to them. And so that's the first point here is that Abraham saw a need of those around him. He saw the Lord. And he must have sensed that it was the Lord because he bows his knee before him in humility. And uh, then the Lord says, go do what you said you would do. And he does it. And then they eat. <clears throat> and uh, I, I don't know everything they talked about while they ate. Uh, it's not recorded here, but um, it sounds like a pretty good meal to me. Um, I'm glad that we just ate lunch. I'll just say that. Um, but we never know what opportunities God is going to give us to minister to others. As a matter of fact, let's look at a passage in Hebrews. Again, Hebrews 13.2. Whoever gets to it first, one of the men, can stand and read it for me. Hebrews 13.2. Uh, this is an admonishment that the writer of Hebrews gives to us as believers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. That has always been an interesting passage to me. And um, I don't know if I've ever encountered an angel, though I think there might have been at least one time in my life when, I, when it might have happened. Because there was a time when I was, it was shortly after the Thanksgiving holiday, I think it was Black Friday, I was in Hobby Lobby with some of my family, and an older lady, sweet older lady, came up to me and pressed a, a bill into my hand. And I got out, of the, got out of the aisle way so that I could look at it, and she had said, just buy yourself something nice. I opened my palm, and there was a $20 bill. By the time I turned around to say thank you, I couldn't find her anywhere. So I don't know if she was a little or literal angel, but I know that God used her as an angel to encourage me that day. I don't remember the details, but I remember I had been going through a really rough time, and, and it was God's way of showing me that he was there and that he hadn't forgotten about me. 
And so I, uh, I really appreciated that. I want to share this story about the importance of taking action after you have made plans. You know, the Proverbs say, says that the man makes his plans and the Lord directs his steps. And I think that verse is there largely because sometimes when we're making our plans, we're so afraid that we'll go against what God wants that we don't want to make any plans. And I don't think that's what God is saying to us. He wants us to count the cost and make plans and do our best to do them as it glorifies the Lord and not to be afraid of that. And he will direct us and change things if it needs to be changed. Dr. J.B. Gambrill tells an amusing story from General Stonewall Jackson's famous Valley Campaign. Jackson's army found itself on one side of the river when it needed to be on the other side. After telling his engineers to plan and build a bridge so the army could cross, he called his wagon master in to tell him that it was urgent that the wagon train cross the river as soon as possible. The wagon master started gathering all the logs, rocks, and fence rails he could find and built a bridge. Long before daylight, General Jackson was told by his wagon master all the wagons and artillery had crossed the river. General Jackson asked where the engineers were and what were they doing. The wagon master's only reply was that they were in the tent, still drawing up plans for the bridge. <laughs> so, my admonition to you on this first point is don't spend too much time planning, or so much time planning, that you miss the opportunity to take action for the Lord. It's the Lord that does the work. We need to be the willing vessels, and he will fill in the details. Um, our second point here today is, the Lord promises Abraham and Sarah a son. Now, he's promised them this before, as we have discussed, but he's going to put more flesh if you will, to these plans. He's going to be more specific. So let's read um, verses 9 through 16 together. And he said unto him, this is Abraham, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of woman. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I waxen old? Shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which, which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham, Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. So in the second point, in the second point we have God reaffirming his promise to Abraham. Unless we ridicule Sarah too greatly for laughing, um, please remember that not too long ago, before this, I think in uh, 
In, oh yeah, right here in chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? And then he goes on to say, Let Ishmael live before you. So, um, Abraham and Sarah were in kind of the same place here. And they were kind of in the same place that you or I might be if we got similar news. But you see, God is a God of impossibilities. And He will often give someone a calling on their life, make it virtually impossible for that calling to be fulfilled, and then fulfill it in them so that He can receive all the glory and the honor and the credit. Remember when Gideon was called to uh, lead the Israelites against the Midianites and 30,000 men came to fight? And God said, that's too many. I think he got down to 15,000 and then 3,000. And finally 300. And God said, okay, I can do this. And Gideon was afraid and God said, go down into the camp. And then we read about the dream that the one Midianite had about the barley roll rolling through the Midianite camp and destroying everything. And we know that they ended up winning the victory over the Midianites without raising a sword. They just broke their lamps and yelled at the top of their lungs, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they gained the victory that day. What was it God told them before that? He said, if I send too many of you against them, you will say, by my hand have I gotten the victory. But because he chose to use only 300, they had no choice but to say, by his hand, and his hand alone, have we gotten the victory. And this is the similar situation that Abraham and Sarah were in. They wanted children all their lives. Now they're getting toward what to many people would be the end of life. And God is saying, I'm still going to send you a son. And that's another thing to think about. When God promises something, he does it. It's not always on our timetable, but he does promise. A promise from God is a statement we can depend on with absolute confidence. Here are 12 promises for Christians to claim. God promises his presence. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 He promises his protection. I am thy shield. Genesis 15.1 He promises his power. I will strengthen thee. Isaiah 41.10 God's provision. I will help thee. Isaiah 41.10 God's leading. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. John 10.4 God's purposes. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Jeremiah 29.11 God's rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11.28 God's cleansing. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. God's goodness, no good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. And that's just a few of them. We could go on for hours and hours about the many more promises that are in his word. As we think about Sarah's son Isaac, let's look at a passage in Romans chapter 4, Romans 4, 18 to 21. It talks a little bit about what the significance is for us as New Testament saints. Whoever gets that can stand and read it for us. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised So Paul is using this story in Romans chapter 4 as he is beginning to outline, outline, outline the promises that we are given um, in the chapters to come about Jesus dying for us while we are yet without strength, about giving us the victory over sin, about helping us to live beyond the life of this flesh. All these promises are we can take to the bank, we can know are true because of the promises that he fulfilled in the life of Abraham. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful that God doesn't necessarily go through all of Abraham's flaws here in the New Testament. Even though Abraham was a flawed individual, he still says, ultimately, his faith in me didn't waver. God can sustain us. I think of that verse in Jude where it says, Now unto him who is able to prevent you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne, be all honor and glory and dominion forever. That's the God with whom we have to do. And I'm so grateful for that. So, remember, if God has promised you something, He will bring it to pass. Even if the waiting period seems long. Our third point here in Genesis chapter 18, kind of turning a corner, is that the Lord, because of his closeness to Abraham, is going to reveal his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. And this has direct bearing on Abraham because his nephew Lot chose to dwell there. And as we've already talked about the last time, or one of the last times that, that I preached on this hall of faith, we talked about how first Lot has a, has a position where he's pointed his tent towards Sodom. And then you read about Lot later, and he has planted his tent in Sodom. So he's gradually... Uh, become more and more a part of this. And so we're going to see what God has to say about 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is grievous, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And so we see that Abraham, who's already been called a friend of God, that this is proven by God's desire to let Abraham <clears throat> know what he is doing. He didn't have to say anything to Abraham about what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, but he does. Because he says, I know that Abraham will command his household to keep the way of the Lord. And I'm going to honor his faith. Remember, Abraham wasn't perfect. You've already seen mistakes that he's made. He laughed at God when God said he was going to have a son. But he said, I know that Abraham will lead his family in the way they should go. So I am going to trust him with this knowledge of what is happening with Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, their evil went up before the Lord. And he said, their sin is very grievous. I'm going to go down and I may destroy it. And so Abraham stands before the Lord. He could have just walked back and said, I, I did my duty. I served the Lord. I gave him food. I walked him um, out onto the road. My job is done. But he doesn't. And our fourth point today. Uh, well, first, let's look at John chapter 15, verse 15. Very quickly. As we think about Abraham as the friend of God and what Jesus told us, in John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus, if we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, calls us friends. Every once in a while, and it probably should more often, but every once in a while that overwhelms me. The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, one who was there at the foundations of the world, has revealed his plans to me. He's told me, that at the end of days, men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be selfish. And that ultimately he's going to judge the world. But he also told me that I'm going to go with him. I'm going to leave this, this earth and this body of death that I'm in right now. And have a glorified body. Free of pain. 
There's no wheelchairs allowed in heaven. I have that hope now because of who I am. But according to his righteousness, that's how he saved me. And Paul said, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. That's why I preach, because I don't want anyone who is here or anywhere else to go to hell. Because they can go to heaven and be with God and his saints forever. Because he loved them enough to step into a human body, to live 33 sinless years, to die on the cross, and then to rise again the third day. And although we don't have the exact conversation recorded, I often think about what it must have been like for God in eternity past to say to his son, I want you to go to earth. I want you to step into a human body and I want you to show them how to live. And then I want you to die and gain the victory over sin. And then when you rise again, then they'll be free. My people will be free. Those who don't know me, who are yet without strength, will be free. What a glorious truth that is. So, as we finish up today, I just want to read these final ten verses of Genesis chapter 18, and we'll see how Abraham, though he could have turned his back, intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge... Of all the earth, do right. What a relationship that Abraham had with the Lord to be able to speak to him this way. But that's the relationship we can have with him right now. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous, then I will spare the place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and acid, ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Will thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there be thirty found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken it upon me to speak to the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O Lord, do not be angry, and I will speak to you but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abram. And Abraham returned unto his place. Abraham had a lot of guts. He was a brave man. 
We talk about how Jacob wrestled with God and would not not let him prevail until God blessed him. And God put his thigh out of socket. And then we see, what we see before that, we see this relationship that Abraham had with God. Such that he is pleading for Sodom. And why is he doing that? Most likely he's thinking directly of Lot and his family. The sad thing about this is I I tend to almost believe because there were some of Lot's family that could not be persuaded to leave Sodom with him. And I almost wonder if he had reached his whole family if that would have equated to ten righteous and spared the city. I can't definitively say, but I can say this, that it doesn't take much for a generation to forget God. We have a great responsibility to share the truth of the gospel with the next generation. And with generations to come, as long as the Lord tarries, we are in in an age where people have forgotten God. They use his name in vain. They use it when they get frustrated. I remember hearing a story from a friend of mine who used to be in jail ministry with us. He said one time he visited the jail. Someone said he was an atheist. And then he swore and used God's name in vain. He said, well, why did you use his name if you don't think he exists? I don't know if that gave that criminal pause or not. But I do know that God's word is powerful. And that it reaches people. I listen to this program, Unshackled, every week. And it talks about testimonies from people, how God reveals the truth to them and they come to Christ in faith. And sometimes they hear the gospel many times through growing up. (coughs) And then eventually... They're just by themselves and they open up a Bible. And the truths of everything they've learned through their life come cascading out. And they give their lives to God. I've heard multiple stories about atheists who say, I'm going to read the Bible so I can prove it wrong. And then they meet the God of the Bible and they spend the rest of their life defending it. Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell are two that come to mind. They hated the Bible. But God had other plans. Reminds me of someone else. His name was Saul. He was on the road to Damascus and he was going to continue to persecute the Christians. He even had letters from the government saying he could. And Jesus met him on that road. And after Jesus changed his heart, then he said to Jesus, what would you have me to do? And God made him a great church father who ministered to so many people and said that he had done all that God had called him to do 
to the point that he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I've gone and I've shared the message where God has called me to do it. And then he said at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. God can do that for Saul who became Paul. He can certainly do that for you and me. A mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I do not ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Justice was done on the cross of Calvary so that all that's left for God to offer us is mercy. I plead with you today, if you have not yet received Christ's mercy, that you would do so today. That you would become a friend of God as Abraham was and as the disciples were and as you and I can be as we walk through this life today. It would be my greatest desire that when I get to heaven and I get to use my glorified body to walk the streets of gold, to kneel before the Lord, that you are there right beside me. As great as this life is, and there are great things about this life, Paul said this, he said, it has never entered into the heart of man what the Lord has promised to them that love him. I has not seen, nor has ear heard. So if you want to get in on that, you need to trust Jesus Christ. And when you trust him, he will come in and he will change you. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My prayer for you is that today would be the day of salvation. If it hasn't already... And if you are saved, that you would call upon him more frequently, with more urgency, so that you can be ready and willing to be used of the Lord wherever he has you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this story in the book of Genesis. We thank you that although it was thousands of years ago, it still has relevance for today. And we praise you for your never-ending, never-changing, always-living word. I pray that you would be with each of these um, brothers and sisters here today, that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.